0: Okay, brilliant. If you want to um, bring your drinks and sit down, that'd be great. Hugh, that's you. Um, <clears throat> I know it's like giving a kind of five-minute break <laughs> to leaders. There's no such thing. Um, before I get into uh, the subject that I've been asked to kind of explore in this session and the session after lunch, uh, Mike's asked us to our feedback on Kenya. And um, having done a recent trip there um, to be with Edward and Frieda. And um, if you think, uh, well, how long? What, half ten to one, which is, what's that? Oh, massive. Two and a half hours for a session. We, on the Sunday, we had about five and a half hour session. No breaks. It went straight through lunch. And then I had to speak to these leaders who had travelled some distance that morning, um, who were hungry and, and so on, with no lunch break at all. And this was about three o'clock in the afternoon. So, Please, this is nothing. Uh, so no sympathy whatsoever. Um, but just to say that I uh, had an amazing trip out there. The first time I went out to Kenya was with, with Mike and um, a team of people two and a half years ago. Uh, we went to serve their leadership conference, Edward and Frieda. They've got um, hundreds of churches. They lose count of the amount of churches they have. Uh, it's roughly around 200 plus But um, while being there, you just realize they are just all about expansion. Um, There was one area in in the north, I think it is, of Kenya, where a guy who leads the churches in that region, he has a vision to see 90 churches planted in the next two years. When he said it, I thought, oh, nine. And then I thought, 19, that's a lot of faith. And I realized he said 90. And uh, you think, oh my God word. And Edward's comment to me was simple, was, well, the churches aren't the problem, it's the resources that we need. Things like motorbikes for these guys to get around on, because when you get out in the kind of rural areas of of Kenya, um, roads are not great, let's just say. And for little English people like me, (laughs) you're bouncing up and down in the back of a four by four for ages. Um, But huge privilege um, to be there. We went out with... um, for a few reasons, really. One, um, to continue to build our relationship with Edward and Frieda, and it was a privilege to stay in their home. I went out with a guy called Kevin McGee, who's a worship leader at King's and trustee, and a guy called Steve Hope, who uh, went out to help um, to uh, them with their television studio, because Edward has a television program that goes out to 20 million people. Um, it's one of the most watched TV programs on a Saturday morning for half an hour. So that's some reach, isn't it? Um, And they're looking to set up a a TV station, because at the minute they have to send stuff off to Nairobi, which is about five and a half hours away. They edit it, put it on air or whatever. They want their own station. And so Steve, for his other job, other than working for Kings, helps install TV studios, did BT Sport, um, did their whole thing, ran that whole project, so he knows what he's doing. And so it's great to have him along helping there as well. But also, we went because we wanted to get some feedback on some of the giving that's taken place over the past few years. Um, many will know that we've had kind of Christmas offerings that have gone on, and one in 2014, is that right? And one in or 2013, 2015. I'm looking at you for an intelligent answer now, Mike. James will know. But anyway, roughly around that time, there's been two. And the, I'm trying to think where the first lot went to. <laughs> I can remember the second lot. Like, what was the first lot, James? business creation. That was it. So there's a, they've got a thing called the SACO, which is a, community, a, a cooperative kind of investment thing. It's not a bank, um, where people put money in, save up, and then they can borrow three times that money back on it and end up kind of then setting up their own businesses, investing back in, and so on and so forth. And we were invested massively in that. I think that about 20,000 or more was put into that as a boost for it in that year. And uh, it's just great to go around and see some of these places. I've, I've some some pictures, but where, where, oh, is they here on there? Yeah, can you shove? Them? Okay, I'll get to that one in a minute. It was sort of last minute. Of this, so just go forward one. Okay, so these are a bunch of ladies um, who uh, have benefited from kind of um, money given to help start a business, a chicken farm. Very simple. Um, I think they start with rabbits, and um, yeah, how'd you get from rabbits to chickens? It's amazing what God will do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Miracles everywhere. No, what it was, they um, they had rabbits and uh, not don't think wild rabbits like we have in the UK. Think nice cuddly ones that we keep as pets, and they don't keep them for pets. Um, and so they managed to generate money from that Then they earned enough money to then start chickens as well So they bought the chickens to eggs and so on And so these ladies' lives are getting changed through things like this um, We'll whack another one up, we'll see what comes up It's kind of a lucky pick um, This is a shop that was started, similar thing through the Saco where um, where just a little corner store, this is in the ladies' home uh, They're so hospitable, people of Kenya um, Wherever you go, you get food And tea. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. If you think, okay, we'll have a little drink now because I've just had rice and other things, and now you kind of get served another meal, and it's great because they're so hospitable. And this lady here on the left, she uh, runs this little shop from her home, again, generating income, being able to support family and things like that as well. So our money's gone into that, and the injection of money into the SACO has helped massively to the point now where they're hoping to open up a bank. If they get more money in here, they'll have the Bank of Edward and Frida. So I'm sure it'll be called Ed Free Bank, I'm sure it will, and uh, in in their domination of Kenya. So it's really great because this is is, um, genuinely changing lives on the ground. And then in 2015, I believe the giving went into the Community Empowerment Programme. So if we switch back a few to the first one, um, this is the first centre for the Community Empowerment Programme and it's... The Community Empowerment Programme is quite a wide thing. It is there to um, help empower people to walk free from poverty in all sorts of ways. So some of it is helping um, young people through education. We had the privilege of interviewing this girl on the um, last morning. We were about to go. We hadn't planned to meet with her or anything. She happened to be at the building um, as we were about to leave. And, uh, and one of the ladies said, you, you should get her story. Just get her story. So we sat down with her. And just said, just, just share your story. And uh, cool. it was, it was um, humbling. But basically what happened was she, um, she was going through university in her first year. And uh, her dad had died previously. And then her mum had, had died. And so she was left uh, an orphan. And no money, no way to complete her university or anything like that. And uh, she was saying at that point, had something not happened, that um, she would have likely become a street girl at that point, because she had nothing at all. It was all gone. It's like the carpet taken from underneath your feet completely. Anyway, uh, Edward and Frieda um, hear about her situation, and uh, through the Community Empowerment Program, really just help her through university, but much more than that, actually. They become like sort of grandma and granddad to her, and uh, help her through. um, And she's got telling this story with tears in her eyes. And I was thinking, this is amazing. This is wonderful, because this is money that we've given into things to enable this stuff to happen. And you think, yeah, it's humbling. Um, and then she just shared how, I said, well, what do you want to do now? And she was like, oh, I can't remember what Kirish said, but she said something she wants to do oh, in social work or something. Now she's going to be a lecturer in this environment, helping other people like her. Another guy on Edward's media team um, was a target for radicalisation, going into Al-Shabaab and, and um, basically Islamic group there um, to... Uh, kids are going missing off streets, teenagers are going missing, whole groups of people, 120 went missing from one town. Edward was saying they're now targeting children, small children. Um, And so this kind of thing is to provide a place for these people to come, to get training uh, in all sorts of things. This is the first one, like I say, with computers and books and things like that. And you might look at it and think it doesn't look like much. This is the only one of this thing in probably the whole region of Meru. Um, there is nothing like this where, where kids can come where it's safe, where they're not getting targeted, and so on. And so we had the privilege of opening this up on behalf of um, Relational Mission, and um, a real joy uh, to do this. Now, if we just go forward a little bit, because there's great stuff in the future as well. So flick forward, uh, probably three or four. Oh, that's some lovely school children we visited. That's a whole other story. Oh, that's another girl who was helping through the Community Empowerment Programme. Her mum was filled with such joy. I mean, they are in... Yeah, they've got nothing, and yet, oh man, she's a she's an amazing woman. Um, anyway, let's flick forward again. Oh yeah, this building here. Um, this is one of Edward and Frieda's buildings they've got um, <laughs> in their empire. Um, it's, it's shot on panoramic, so it looks curved. It's not. That's just a straight frontage, but it's huge. It is massive. I mean, they are people of vision. You're like, man. And, and so this building here downstairs is being used for sort of medical clinics. See Kenya, which church down in Jim um, uh, Partridge. Uh, what's it called? hey yeah. with teeth. Down that way, uh, partnering to see that. So there's all sorts of medical stuff going on downstairs. Top floor is going to be used for training leaders. The middle floor, they want to finish off and open up for another community empowerment program. They've got a list of, of guys who they want to bring into that already. They want to have all sorts of training in jobs and welding and um, you name it. And it's not finished, this floor. So walking round it, you're thinking, okay, well, what is this going to cost? To finish it off, to get it started and get it going, Twenty to 30,000 quid. It's nothing, is it? Is it? It really isn't a lot of money to stop someone's life and many people's lives being utterly ruined, is it? So, I don't know, we're going to get some money. And uh, we're going to, <laughs> legally of course, <laughs> but we're going to get it. And do you know the biggest joy of this is the, of partnering with friends on the ground there. Because there is no doubt about it, Africa is one of the most corrupt nations around and the corruption is endemic. So much so you walk into a primary school and there's a sign that says, this is a corruption-free zone. In a primary school. You drive down the road and there are signs saying, this is a corruption-free zone, do not give any money if you are asked. Because it is so corrupt and so so much money simply goes in and just... Well, where does it go, actually? Um, also, there's massive corruption in the churches there. The uh, kind of uh, prosperity gospel is ruining lives. It is wrecking lives. It's a false gospel, keeping people in poverty and keeping some very wealthy preachers. Um, and it's, it's wrong and it needs to stop. And I love that Edward in and Friedman, all their, their churches and their leaders, they are, this is not what they're about. They are, they are men and women of such high integrity. Um, and so we're sitting there going through the kind of, not the books with them, but going, hey, well, where's this money gone? And they're, they're, just, they're just open about it. It's wonderful to be partnering with friends. So it was a great trip. So I don't know, we're, you know, we're kind of feeling our way forward. Um, I'm sure there'll be more stuff out. We captured some video interviews and things like that that we'll be putting together and releasing somewhere, somehow. And James, I'm sure, will direct all that process. So anyway, So all right. So just pray before we kind of move on? Yeah, Lord, thank you for what you're doing across the nations. Lord, just even this morning, just what we're hearing. Um, you, you're about the nations. You're about doing things which are utterly beyond us. Um, you're about doing things which we, <laughs> we simply can't do. <laughs> but with you, all things are possible. Um, apart from you, we really can do nothing. And so we lean into you, Lord. We lean into you. For Haitia and Lena, Lord, and all they're doing, for Edward and Frieda, all they're doing, Lord, all the things we're doing, we just lean into you, Lord, and what we talk about now as well, we just need your Holy Spirit, we need you so much. We're so utterly dependent upon you, and what a glorious place to live life out from, it really is. Amen. 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 Right. Okay, so um, the plan is that prior to lunch, which is now 45 minutes, I'm going to... Unpack some stuff, and then after lunch, we're going to spend time in groups and some time with Q&A with a panel. And the kind of subject matter that we been asked to look at is really how do we um, sort of, um, well, connecting with a broken world is a kind of overarching title. And really looking at how do we kind of do church in a way which really does, and I know do church is a bad way of putting it, but you know, kind of do church. How do, we do, how do we build church in a way that genuinely connects with those around us, no matter what culture they are part of? So, church culture, that's the kind of words that we're going to be uh, exploring. Because the fact is, church has changed over the centuries, hasn't it? The form of church has changed hugely over the centuries, it's changed depending on what culture it's in, and so we expect church to change. It's changed over the past hundred years in our nation, and we, I would expect in a hundred years' time that it's going to look different. And so we need to be asking questions and about the way we do church, about how we do it, the form that church takes in our culture. If I was to ask, why do you do church the way you do it? You haven't got to answer it, but I wonder what you... Why do you do it that way? Why? What's the reason that we do it in the way that we do it? And I'm sure you've got reasons. But church gets lived out and expressed in all sorts of different ways. So really, this session is kind of me thinking out loud in some ways. Um, I've kind of ended up in a different place than I thought I would when asked to do this. I'm not saying what I'm saying is conclusive, but really my aim is to provoke us into conversation and questions around the way that we do church that really will connect with a broken world and people in our culture. Yeah? So that's the kind of aim of this. I'm not coming with any well-formed, this is it, this is sorted, because I haven't got this sorted at all. Um, I'm just asking the kind of questions and trying to form the right questions to ask as well. So when you hear the word culture, um, sometimes it gets bounded around as a bit of a trendy word. It was the um, word of the year in uh, 2014, apparently, and uh, there's a lot of confusion and complexity around the word. There's all sorts of different definitions of culture. You might think of bacteria, you might think of people, um, you know, singing an opera, Um, you know, we, we think of all different things when it comes to culture. In fact... Five definitions were then given on the back of this kind of word of the year. Interestingly, the word of the year in 2015 was ism. I just found that interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it the most looked up word was socialism, then fascism, then racism, then feminism, then communism, then capitalism, and then terrorism. Interesting, eh? I think it is. I've got no idea what that means, but I just found it interesting that these two things do give us a window into what people are thinking. So what do we mean by the word culture? Well, oh, to be honest, as I started to... Uh, I've been reading on this and thinking about it, I realised culture's a little bit like an onion. Um, it's multi-layered, and it kind of makes you cry when you try and get a handle on it a little bit. <laughs> hey! <laughs> you like that one. Um, <laughs> but it does, because it's kind of, well, what is it? How do you kind of get a handle on what culture is? And when you start reading definitions that people come up with, so go with someone like D.A. Carson. Uh, he, he defines culture in this book, uh, Christ and Culture Revisited. And uh, so he quotes one person here. says, culture consists of patterns, explicit and implicit, of and behaviour acquired and transmitted by symbols I'm having a problem reading it I don't think about what it means constituting the distinctive achievement of human groups including their embodiment of artefacts the essential core of culture consists of traditional i.e. historical, derived and selected ideas and essentially their attached values culture systems may on the one hand be considered as products of action on the other hand as conditioning elements of further action so you're all clear now got got it Um, brilliant uh, uh, this is his favourite one this is Carson's favourite one that he says this is one he goes for the culture concept denotes an, an historically transmitted pattern of meanings embodied in symbols a system of inherited conceptions expressed in symbolic form by means of which men communicate perpetuate and develop their knowledge about an attitude towards life I love Carson <laughs> but I've got to be honest, I'm like, oh Lord, I need something simpler than this. For me, I really do. So the, 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 the phrase I would use to define culture, which I think I read somewhere or whatever, is this, can we put that up, slick um, two, two slides, oh there we go, that one, culture, a group's particular way of life. Yeah! I can get that, and I can unpack that in my head about what that actually means. And yes, I'm sure I'd get down to, if I unpacked it, maybe some words there, but it means the values they express, the language they use, the clothing they wear, the traditions they are taught, the food they eat, the music they listen to, the programs they watch, the websites they visit, the beliefs that they hold, the practices that they share, the places they work, the things they produce, the buildings they build, and the way they raise children, and we could kind of go on. It's the particular way of life. Shared by a group of people. That's what culture is. Now, culture being an onion and multi kind of faceted, if you like, and different layers of it, we could talk about UK culture. Um, because if we ever talk about, well, it's about church, has got to reach the culture, we've got to, well, which one? Really, which one? Because it's hugely diverse. So, give me some distinctives of UK culture. Here's an onion. Sorry? Team, tea. Tea, tea. Sorry, team. I was thinking English football team and not team. Tea, drinking tea. Yeah, okay. Afternoon tea and cakes. Hmm. Sorry, you have to queuing. Yeah, yeah. We love it, don't we? The weather. We love talking about the weather, don't we? So this is UK, okay. Football. Sorry. Democracy. Democracy. Yeah. Dogs. I thought you just said cats, actually, Mike, but I'll go for dogs. People love walking dogs and all the rest of it. Anything else? Planned, not got reserved. reserved. Planned, not spontaneous. And if we have spontaneity, we plan it. Hey. Okay, let's, we could go on. Okay, so you've got UK culture. Within that... Then let's let's go down down a step to let, let's go to a region. Let's go to Norfolk. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm a Norwich boy, so it's okay. <laughs> Someone's thinking webbed feet. I know it. Um, go on, give some Norfolk culture. Canaries. Canaries, Okay, so Alan Partridge. Alan Partridge. <laughs> The product of our culture, <laughs> canaries, anything else broads. Hmm? the broads, okay, broads. so kind of out on our boats, like my you know enjoying slow i'd say slow, a bit slower, you know I don't mean slow in thinking, but just <laughs> a more biblical way of life <laughs> <laughs> agriculture agricultural aren't we generally do you know what i met my first guy who came to our church yesterday on sunday for the first time and he's a he's a um tractor driver i thought yes i've actually met a norfolk tractor driver i've not met one before agriculture okay um we okay we okay, can let's move on so look and then you've got so you got norfolk there well, i've written norfolk already uk there drop down if we go to norwich culture Right, anyone want to comment on Norwich? (laughs) Coleman's, Coleman's. we're famous for Coleman's, aren't we? Yeah, okay, Coleman's, uh, Prince's Street, that's got a bit of a reputation, Prince of Wales is cool, yeah, it's one of the, apparently it's the sixth most dangerous street in the UK, in the evenings. So, let me kind of help us out here. Church buildings, yeah. We've got loads of church buildings, loads of pubs. There's all sorts of things that make up Norwich culture. In fact, Norwich is just made up of loads of subcultures anyway. You've got youth culture, clubbing culture, business culture, a particular group's way of life. And within that, we have church culture as well. We have a group's particular way of life that we do church and the way that we interact with one another and so on. You've got the gay culture, you've got drug culture, all these different things. The point is this, simply, that culture is so utterly diverse... And there are so many subcultures and groups within any one kind of overarching culture that to say that kind of what we need to do church is kind of nail what culture is and then know how to reach it, and we'll do it. So, even church and culture doesn't really help, it's, it's churches and cultures, and how do we reach these diverse groups of people? Um, so, it's a fluid term in many ways, it's always changing. Because humans are always creative and therefore always creating. That's what it means to be made in God's image. Uh, If you want to read a good book on that kind of stuff, Andy Crouch's... um, Did I bring it? No, I didn't bring it. Andy Crouch's uh, Making Culture. I think, or Creating Culture. Creating Culture. Excellent book. Um, But he talks in there about the fluidity of culture. Um, And so if we're going to go and kind of do church, plant church, be church, in, in, in different kind of groups and things like that, I've put down here actually... If, if we are called to go to, I put Iran, I nearly got Iraq, I didn't know you guys were going to be it, but I was like, what would you do in that situation? And for these guys, they know the language, but they're even saying, we still need to learn some of these words and what they mean and how they translate into this culture we're going into, even though that we're pretty familiar with it. And so we want to learn the language, the customs, what people think, their stories, um, Kind of what goes on in their lives, how they spend their time, what do they invest their time in. Um, we want to know about their history uh, and all those sorts of things when we go into another culture, don't we? Yeah? That's what you do. When someone goes to another culture and knows nothing of it, they learn those sorts of things before they go into it. Now the danger, I think, and I'm sure you agree, is that if we are British and we've lived in England all our lives, I've lived in Norwich all my life, I've been a Christian though now for about nineteen years, twenty years, something like that, that my I could assume I know what the culture is like in Norwich because I 'm Norwich, born and bred. Actually, culture has moved on so fast over the years and is always changing, always adapting. There's always these different subcultures and things. actually, we need to do some work on it. Do we agree with that? If we want to reach a specific group of people within a specific culture. We need to know where they're coming from. And we need to be doing it in the UK as well abroad. Now, often then questions are asked about how we do this. So sometimes the question can be this. Well, I think the church just needs to be countercultural. We need to be the kind of church that kind of shows that we are different to the world that we live in. That's what counter means, to be against, to be up against. Um, a different set of attitudes at variance with the kind of prevailing sort of cultural norm that you're surrounded by. Now, of course, when we follow Jesus, there are going to be things in our lives that are countercultural and all the rest of it. But if we live in that place, we're just living—it's um, a negative position. I guess what I'm saying, okay? You're living from a negative position. There's not, there's no nothing positive about it, other than I'm kind of counterculture, and therefore I'm going to show you where culture isn't quite right and where we are against. Now, some churches live this way. I wouldn't suggest it. I don't think it's effective. Another question that is asked is how can we be culturally relevant? What words would you use to describe relevant? Understood, Understood? yeah, brilliant. Trendy. 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 Meaningful. Meaningful. Engaging. Engaging. Acceptable. Acceptable. Current. Current. Brilliant. Suitable to the current time period or contemporary interest or closely connected to. So do we want churches that are relevant? It's not a trick question. <laughs> we want churches that connect with people that are current in time period, don't we? That, that are, uh, connect closely with those around us. We want to connect the truth of the gospel to people who are far from Christ in diverse cultures in our cities and our towns and our villages and wherever we find ourselves, yeah? So we do want to be Relevant to people. Sometimes uh, you may have come across the uh, Hughes scale. I'll leave this up for kind of discussion this afternoon. How are we doing now? We're doing all right. Um, so we've got um, uh, biblical content here. For those of you who can't see this, that's an upward axis with high at the top and low at the bottom. And across the bottom, you've got relevance so, the Hughes scale basically says this you've got these kind of four quadrants, and that uh, some churches may be high in kind of biblical content, if you like, but maybe low in relevance connection. So, they're kind of up here somewhere. Um, some might be low in relevance and so on and so forth, but really what this is saying is what you want to be is up here. And that's where Jesus, I would argue, was, and we'll get to him in a minute. But that is kind of where saying church is, that it's high relevance but high in biblical content. Now, you know, there's some things you might want to talk around that. You might not agree with some of that. You might want to ask questions of it and so on. But I don't think that the relevant question is the primary question to ask. I really don't. I think I probably used to. <laughs> but I don't think that it's the primary question we should ask. Because culture is so diverse around us, if we say to ourselves, let say at Kings, we say, look, hey, let's be relevant to the cultures. How are we going to do that? We're probably need about 15 different meetings for the different styles or whatever that are out there. And I think if you live in, the, the, the we want to be a culturally relevant church, as the main question, I think we live then in not a negative stance, but a reactionary stance to what is going on around us. Does that make sense? You're just living in reaction to what's going on, the culture shift. Oh, it's changed again. Oh, right, sack that, worship leader, um, because they don't do it in that style, dear me. Um, right, let's get another one in who can who can beatbox, I don't know. Um, but, you know, you, you're just going to be kind of, oh, right, what shirt should I put on today? Is it Czech morning? Is it not? I mean, I don't know. It is, it is clearly. My I mean, we're been. <laughs> Have you noticed the different styles of Czech, though? Just saying. Um, so there's that as well okay so culturally relevant i don't think is the right one. The second question people often ask is this is how do we transform culture the third question sorry how do we transform culture to transform is to change renew refigure, and so on and so forth and of course we want this to happen yeah i'm part of a, a group of churches in norwich called transforming norwich and we want to see transformation in our city we want transformation in people's lives of course we do we want to see kind of transformation that impacts on the lives of people in business and clubs and all sorts of things like that. Just like Ephesus 19. you know, The preaching of the gospel produced change in the culture in terms of the business community. So so much so, the business community get up in arms and say, hey, you're robbing our business. That's the kind of transformation that we want to see happening. Now, so, of course we do. But again, I think if we make transformation, now you may disagree with this, but if we make transformation the target to aim for we're going to transform society i think that we potentially then end up with or leaning towards a kind of social gospel because it's all about we're going to change things we're going to make things happen and Again, you may disagree, I'm kind of, I'm, this is me thinking out loud of it here, but I think we kind of could potentially, we're going to transform things, that's what we're going to do. Rather than coming from the place of which I think the primary question is, um, which is this. Do you want to put it up? So this is the question I've come up with, and this is why I'm just going to explain what some of these terms mean. Next slide. Thank you. Which is this. How do we cultivate... Kingdom culture within our church communities that connects with, I is relevant, the challenges that is countercultural at some points, and it transforms the diverse cultures that surround us. Yeah? How do we actually cultivate kingdom culture? Because if we don't ask that question, we end up chasing our tails on the other stuff. And I think giving our time and energies into the kind of wrong things so let me just kind of unpack this looking at Jesus um, and then we'll have time this afternoon there'll be groups I've asked um, a number of people to kind of just host those groups there'll be discussion on this and then we can text questions in as well and there'll be some people to explore some of those I'm not saying we're going to nail everything at all but let me just kind of unpack this looking at Jesus first thing this Because Jesus did this while on earth. He came into a specific cultural context, first of all. Jesus came into a specific Jewish nation, okay? And he shared in our humanity. He was God with skin on. Uh, He was fully embodied into the culture he was in. The word became flesh, as the uh, message version says, and moved into the neighborhood. I love it that Jesus was so embodied into this group's way of life that he lived 30. God was living next door to people. God was living next door to people, and they didn't know. Because he wasn't going around with a big cross on his t-shirt, or, I'm not saying that's wrong, I'm just, you know what I'm saying, there was nothing within him culturally, he spoke the language of the day, he dressed in the clothes of the day, he did the things of the day, he participated in the rituals of the day, he was a Jewish man, through and through, utterly contextualised. Charles Craft says, God in Jesus became so much part of a specific human context that many never even recognized he'd come from somewhere else. So Matthew 13, you've got to deal with where Jesus is doing miracles and all this kind of stuff and speaking with wisdom and authority, and his home people are going, this is Joseph's boy, the carpenter's son. I mean, where did he get this from? Because we didn't see this when he was living with us for 30 years of his life. What is this going on? So he was not known for his dress, his language. He wasn't known for kind of that. He was known for his power. He was known for his compassion, for his healing, signs, wonders, his authority in speaking and teaching. He was known for those things. Sometimes the church can be known for other things. And even within this kind of overarching Jewish culture, there's kind of subcultures. So you've got the Pharisees and you've got the Sadducees and it's funny how things stick in your head, isn't it? The Sadducees, um, I remember Graham Hall saying this, and I'm sure many of you have said it as well, but the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. But I remembered it, (laughs) and it's still in my head. But they didn't, they didn't believe in the resurrection, whereas the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. And so you've got these kind of almost subcultures within Jewish culture, and what's really interesting is Paul takes advantage of that at one point, in the book of Acts, where he's kind of in a situation where things are kicking off, and so he throws out a kind of question. He knows he's going to rub things up the wrong way about the resurrection. And the Pharisees are sort of start backing him, going, oh, maybe he's not such a bad chap after all. And the Sadducees, no. You know, he knew the culture he was going, he knew the subcultures that he was working within as well. And he exploited them. Interesting point. Acts 23, if you want to read it. Um, and our local churches as well. We are now the body of Christ, Yeah. So we are embodied into a specific culture at a specific time in a specific place. So that's what we're called to do, which is why it should cause us questions to say, what is our particular way of life, our our culture that we want to see that is going to be expressed in this particular area, this particular people group? What's it actually going to look like? What's it going to mean for our meetings? What's it going to mean for our language? What's it going to mean for our preaching styles? What's it going to mean for our, our, our projects that we run, for how people are in the workplace and how people are with their neighbours and friends and so on and so forth? It goes on and on. We need to ask these kinds of questions. So Jesus came, point number one, into a specific cultural context and was fully embodied in that context. So we need to be the same. Second thing, Jesus cultivated kingdom culture. Yeah? That's what he came for. He came to bring the kingdom in. And there was a group's particular way of life. So when he gathered the disciples to himself, he took them on a journey to follow him, to be like him. And he challenged them things around him. But he modeled and he taught a particular way of life. It was different to the prevailing culture. There were similarities in many ways, but was very different and challenged in many ways as well, it was a culture of God's kingdom here on earth. Now, what do we mean when we say kingdom culture? Well, lots could be said, but let's just, let me just read some stuff out here that I just, kind of just wrote down, okay? It's a culture where good news is declared... God is worshipped, Jesus is glorified. It's a culture where the sick are healed, demons are kicked out, and outcasts are welcomed in. It's a culture where the broken are made whole, the lost find a home, and the lonely find a family. It's a culture where God's will and God's ways are worked out in the world in everyday life 24-7. It's a culture made up of diverse people from all nations and all walks of life, walking in the unity and love of the Spirit. It's a culture that is seeking to serve and not be served, not inward-looking but outward-loving. It's a culture that is generous in giving and sacrificial in serving. It's a culture where humility is a hallmark, truth is upheld, and grace is lavish, and people are honored. It's a culture where our love for one another should speak volumes to the surrounding cultures and diverse cultures that are near us. It's a culture that when encountered, it demands a response. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is near, therefore repent. And it's a culture where the people are dependent on the spirit for their success in the world. And we could go on and on and on and on and on. Let me just quote Os Guinness because I love this quote. He says this, Os Guinness, Even in the grand age of leadership seminars, management studies and project management and the countless bestsellers on the umpteen secrets of business success, it is the spirit of God who leads the advance of the kingdom of God. I like a bit of that. It's the Spirit of God who leads the advance of the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God coming by his Holy Spirit into our lives as communities of people into the world. And we're called to cultivate a kingdom culture in the world. So that's the second one. Jesus did that. We're called to cultivate that. Thirdly, Jesus sought to connect with those within the diverse cultures around him. He absolutely did. He spoke in the language of the day. He told stories that would connect with people, depending on who he was speaking with, depended on the kind of thing he spoke about. He spoke about plants. He spoke about food. He spoke about being born again and what that means. He, he challenged um, all sorts of things. Okay? So he spoke in the language of the day, using pictures common to everyday life, salt, weed, soil, that kind of thing. He was down to earth. It's been said before, isn't it, that, that, that Christianity is the most materialistic um, sort of worldview out there, in, the, right, in terms of God became flesh in the world, material, and, and Jesus was just down to earth in that way. He, he spoke in the language of the people. Dean Fleming, in a book called Contextualization in the New Testament, he said although he offered a radically new teaching, he didn't coin a new language to express it. The incarnation of Jesus makes contextualization not just a possibility, but an obligation. He didn't coin a new language. He took the language of the culture and he took that and said, right, he kind of redeemed it almost. Took it and redeemed it. This is that, and that is that, and this means that. It was, I read the story of St. Patrick in Ireland, just how he went in there, and the pagan culture, um, full of Druids and all the rest of it. And it said that how he went in there and he took those, the imagery and even the language and even used the word magic in explaining the gospel. It's like, wow, would I do that? Magic? I don't want people to think of Derren Brown or whoever, you know. But he took these things and the nation was transformed. And Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. 1 Corinthians 9 speaks about it, doesn't it, in terms of... Paul says, look, to the Jew I became a Jew, to the weak I became weak, to the strong, strong, to the free I became free from God's law... And so on and so forth. And why so that he could win as many people as possible. So Paul sought to connect strongly with those around him, the uh, Curry's and PC World Advert that was on over Christmas. There's a little phrase in it, and it just said, "We start with you. We start with you." And thinking about how we kind of do church, it's like, okay, who is it? Who is it? Now, again, I've said, make that your standpoint in terms of being relevant to those people. Well, I think you go wrong, but get it in order. We do need to be asking that question. Who is it? What do they think? What do they feel? Start with them. Fourth thing, Jesus cultivated kingdom culture and connected with people. He also challenged the surrounding culture. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, you've got Jesus saying things like, you've heard it said, it's connecting with people, but I say to you, it's challenging people. Connection and challenge. Simple. That's what Jesus did. That's what we need to do. He challenged the prevailing religious culture, Jewish interpretation and application of Old Testament law, what constituted adultery, the grounds for divorce, taking of revenge, how people even prayed, how they fasted and how they gave. He challenged who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would even do. He challenged the prevailing social culture as well. Now the social culture was pretty much born out of the religious culture but touching those who were considered unclean, talking with those who were considered inferior, eating with those who were considered immoral. That's what Jesus did. He challenged the prevailing culture as he did those things, both with his words and the way he lived his life. Andy Crouch in this book says, The kingdom of God would touch every sphere and every scale of culture. It would reshape marriage and mealtimes, resistance to the Roman occupiers and prayer in the temple the social standing of prostitutes and the piety of the Pharisees, the meaning of cleanliness and the interpretation of illness, integrity in business and honesty in prayer. It challenged these things and it sought to reshape them as well. Jesus challenged the pride in his disciples, the complacency of the people and the self-reliance of the religious leaders. That's what Jesus did. Ultimately, he challenged and confronted the brokenness in culture Because of Satan's sin and death through the cross and resurrection. He took a symbol that was a symbol of destruction and pain and horror. And he took even that symbol of that culture and redeemed it as well. He kind of challenged that on the cross as he he tied there, as he nailed our sins to the cross. Um, It's incredible what Jesus did with culture. And this was so true transformation could actually take place. Jesus did transform culture, not just changing individual lives, but changing the way of a particular group of people. And when you think about it, the Jewish people were so culturally ingrained in a way of life, in their temple worship, in their laws, and all customs, and everything like that. Jesus comes into that equation, starts writing himself through what he says into into God's role, making claims that no one else has, has claimed before in that way, doing signs and wonders that no one has seen before in that scale, at least. And ultimately, through his resurrection from the dead, he, he changed that culture. So much so that Jews, that Saturday was the Sabbath and the day of worship and all the rest of it, that now Sunday was. That 2,000 years later, not so much now, but given 10 years ago, Sunday shopping. People who didn't even know about the resurrection or believe in it, culturally they were affected by it. Because shops weren't open on Sunday, because it's the day of worship. Change culture. Jews worshipping Jesus as God. That's a massive cultural shift for a Jew. This man who came, huge cultural transformation. Huge cultural shift. Romans refusing to bow down to Caesar as God and eventually even the Roman Empire then getting Christianized and so on. And, you know, massive cultural change has taken place through Jesus and everything that he has done, ultimately through his life, his death, his resurrection, massive cultural change that we are living in now. And if you want to read up on this stuff it, um, that's kind of really helpful, this is a stonking book called The Book That Made Your World. Uh, anyone read it? To be, real, to be real, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, by Vishal Mangualdi. Um, it says, How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. So he's an Indian guy. He's known as kind of the Indian C.S. Lewis. Um, and uh, just brilliant. And he goes through just looking at how the Bible, and in other words, how the gospel, has shaped our world. And it talks about service, quest, self, humanity, rationality, technology, heroism, revolution, languages, literature, university, science, morality, family, compassion, Medical Commitment, True Wealth and Liberty, Mission and the Future. And it's just a fantastic read. Really, really good read. How this gospel has changed and transformed culture. Where do we go now? Um, Well, I hope that I've communicated why this is important. We look at it, (laughs) at least. Um, And why we explore this question. Can we wang the next one up because it's got a telephone number. We'll get to that in a bit. But um, this question: How do we cultivate kingdom culture within our church communities that connects with, challenges, transforms the diverse cultures that surrounds us? I hope I've unpacked that question enough for you to have some kind of something to some meat on the bones, as it were, for you to take hold of and to then talk about and discuss and chew on for a bit after lunch. So you have some food like that in a minute, and then we're going to chew over this question. Um, we want to see people change, um, people transform. We want, I just want to see more people who are genuinely, utterly non church who haven't got a clue. Because do you know what? People haven't got a clue. The fastest growing group of people are the group of people in our culture who haven't got a clue about the Bible, about church, about Jesus. What was that statistic that came out recently? 40% of people in this nation don't believe Jesus ever really existed as a historical figure. Um, you know, the, the, the culture is changing massively. And on our children as well, the, the millennials who are coming through, or Generation Z, or whatever they're called, and, uh, and just the way the internet and social media and everything is now changing things their way, they think even, the way they interact, the way they do community, that's, that's going to impact on the way we do church. It's going to impact on the way people relate to people. I mean, we went <laughs> we're doing this course called More, which is a bit like Alpha. But anyway, we've got one week, which is tonight, which is What is Wrong with the World? And um, so we thought we'd go out on the streets of Norwich and ask people what they thought was wrong with the world. So that's what we did. And uh, I went up to these couple of um, girls, I guess they were about 17 or something like that, outside Topshop. I used to hang out there myself uh, (laughs) many years ago. And so they were hanging out. I thought, right, they're going to have an opinion. So I went up to them and said, hey, would you mind answering this question? Just video for a little bit, blah, blah, blah. And what do you think is wrong with the world? Social media. I thought, wow, that's interesting. Why... Okay. and she unpacked social media is the problem yeah you know people spend too much on it and it was just kind of like this monologue of stuff that came out but i thought it's interesting that she thought social media was genuinely the problem with the world that she's so kind of immersed in this world and that this is the kind of main sort of thing and and so culture shifting the whole gender deal it is it is huge and that's not overstating it it is huge there was an um, article about school kids now being given the kind of 40 choices of what they think they are. That's just confusing a generation. It really is. Um, y- you know, you, I'm sure you're in the same position. You have children who have got friends who've, who will come to school as boys and then a year later they come to school as girls. How do we train our children that to handle that when they're being bombarded by this stuff that this is all okay? And Miley Cyrus, pray for her conversion. Um she's a leading proponent in this. Um, you know, it just it it is huge. And so we need to think about these things. How do we engage with people like that? You know, how do we handle discipleship with people like that? and we could go on in terms of just the changes in our culture, but I hope we got it now. We're called to go into the world. We're called to go and take the gospel into the world to specific people groups, to diverse cultures within our cities, our villages, our towns, countries, nations, wherever. And we want to see God's kingdom. What does it look like? What does it actually look like to see a culture of God's kingdom come so that we are proactive, not reactive to what's going on around us, and we create something that people get drawn into? That's the way Jesus did it. And it's the way we need to do it as well. So, right, I'm going to stop. It's time for lunch. Look, look at that. We're early. Is that okay to have lunch early? I'm getting a thumbs up. Brilliant. Okay. Well, let's pause for lunch. And so, hang on, just one second before we do. Hang Hang on, hang on, hang on. Who are the people who I asked or forced to host a group, rather? Brilliant. Okay. Hands up. So, what we'll do, we'll have lunch in about five to one. Um, so we've got an hour for lunch, about five to one, I'll start calling people back and I'll get those people in various areas, five to one, five to two, <laughs> sorry, you've got two minutes for lunch, minutes for lunch. <laughs> about five to two and then we'll kind of just get into the groups and those the people with the questions have got this question, but also a load of other questions to kind of explore that question. And then during that time, there's a text questions number there. You can text questions in. That will come to my phone. And then we've got a panel of people as well that will just kind of explore anything else as we bring that session to a close. All right? Fantastic.
1: So we've got just over an hour for lunch. Make sure we're back here in good time so that we can get into our groups. Uh, as you have lunch, maybe take a look at the name badge of the people around you. If you see someone with a gold star, give them a warm welcome. Get to know them. We are Relational Mission. This is a great opportunity for us to connect one with another. If you have special dietary requirements um, that goes beyond just lots of food, please go to the coffee um, counter and you'll find your provision there. Otherwise, queue up around the tables and... Um, Let's be respectful of one another as we do that. If you haven't given your uh, car details, if you're parked across the road, please do that at our help desk. If you need any um, help with anything, please go and see them. And finally, before we go and have lunch, we have a resource area that is full of resources for us. Bespokely picked for today and for tomorrow. So please do take some time. Have a look at the books. You want to buy some? That will be fantastic. Shall we give thanks to our God? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time that we've had, uh, surrendering to you, worshipping you, reflecting on your goodness. Father, we thank you for the excitement as we hear you calling us to go to the nations, to, to be your kingdom people, to bring your kingdom into places where there is real darkness. We, we love you and we thank you for what we are heart of. Father, we thank you for Toby and all that he's uh, stimulated within us as we have listened to him speak. Father, we do pray this afternoon, help us as we uh, connect, as we reflect, as we process together about the kinds of people you're calling us to be. But Father, we want to now thank you for those who have prepared food for us. We thank you for this opportunity of connecting one with another. Father, may we be a blessing and may we know your blessing as we share lunch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.